to Drinks at the Doll, episode 74, Lost Girl vs. Xena. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. Uh, and this week, uh, this is an episode I've been waiting to do for a while. As the resident Xenite, uh, we were going to do Xena and compare it to Lost Girl. And uh, we have a guest today, Teresa Nielsen, who's been a longtime friend uh, from the Xena fandom. I've known her for well, probably over 10 years. So welcome, Teresa. Hi. Welcome, Lost Girl fans. Yeah, we, Chris and I, have talked about Buffy and how it compares to Lost Girl a lot and Annie's been sitting in the corner a lot, a lot. going, I haven't watched Buffy, and pointing out that there's lots of similarities between Lost Girl and Xena, too. So this is Annie's week. Finally. It only took like a year and a half. <laughs> no, I'm giving you guys crap. Now is Annie's time to shine. <laughs> because Chris and I actually are, have not watched Xena. Like, I, I, Annie gave us some homework for this episode, and so I watched three episodes, but those are the only episodes of Xena that I've seen. I've seen all three, actually. I'm a super... Buffy fan as well. So, yeah, you're qualified to do everything. And then it's ironic because I've never watched Buffy. So it's funny being on the opposite side of the spectrum. Yeah, um, we had this conversation at Dragon Con where everybody at the table was talking about weed and stuff, and I was just sitting here going, oh, the food is good. <laughs> so, <laughs> but... Uh, How much of, of Xena have you seen, Chris? Just out of curiosity. More than Stephanie has, but less than everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen like a couple episodes here and there or a few, but you know, years ago. Just as an introduction, Xena, Warrior Princess, ran from 1995 to 2001. And a lot of people forget it's a spinoff from Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, which ran from 95 to 99. So Xena is the reformed warlord, travels throughout Greece and throughout time zones, actually, since she meets everybody from Julius Caesar to David and Goliath, which is so historically <laughs> accurate. But Xena travels throughout Greece with Gabrielle, the bard, and companion, sidekick, lover. Just throwing that word in to make you mad, Stephanie. Anyway, so they're supposed to be righting wrongs, fighting evil, that kind of stuff. It was TV shows like Xena and Buffy that were a precursor to TV shows like Lost Girl, because they kind of started the whole... You know, after Wonder Woman, there was this big dearth of female-centered television shows for a long time until Xena came along. It was the creation of the strong female heroine archetype. You know, it's the woman who doesn't need to be rescued or sit in the corner and cry or need the permission of a male character in order to have their own storyline. So that's why Xena was, you know, attracted a lot of attention when people first saw it. Right, because Xena does predate Buffy by a couple years. Buffy didn't start airing until... 1997. I know, and people always give Buffy more credit. This irks me as a Xenite. They're all, well, Buffy did everything. And I'm like, no, Xena was first. So I just, sorry, I have to point that out. Yeah, but I feel like (laughs) Xena and and Buffy really occupy two different places in sort of the fantasy genre because, you know, Xena's in like a mythological world, whereas Buffy's an urban world. So Buffy's more modern. Contemporary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the first thing we wanted to talk about is how both. When it comes to Xena and Bo from Lost Girl, they're really uh, flawed heroines. And I like that about them. They're not like perfect characters. From the very beginning, from the first episode, 
you know, they, you learn that Bo is on this killing spree for 10 years and that Xena previously in her episodes with, before she became reformed for Hercules was a warlord who'd killed thousands and thousands of people. So in the very first episode, you have all this guilt and all this regret that they're carrying with them. And it makes such a more interesting character than just a cardboard cutout. I'm here to save the day. You know, they're on a path of redemption from the very beginning. That was the big comparison that I noticed when I watched. Again, I've seen three episodes, but that was the first big comparison that jumped out for me. Because in the the episode prior to this, actually, we talked about Bo and Buffy, the character, and how they compared. And I talked about how actually Bo's storylines and Buffy's storylines aren't that similar. But I feel like Bo actually has a lot in common storyline-wise with Xena. Yeah, because um, both Bo and Xena are, they use the phrase, you know, I'm a monster you know, similar themes of, like, they believe they're never going to redeem themselves for their past mistakes or the people they've killed. At least that's the theme with Lost Girl in the beginning. I don't know if that's such a theme right now, right. you know, in the third and fourth seasons of The Lost Girl, um, up to a certain point, but that certainly is one of the themes that resonates throughout all of Xena. I think it's fair to say that it was definitely a theme in the third season, since she was concerned about more literally becoming a monster. Mm-hmm. With, with both, the dawning. Yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely was going to jump in and agree with you that the primary theme for Xena is the theme of redemption that runs through all six seasons. That's probably a little different with Bo. I think Bo reaches a point eventually where she learns to forgive herself. But before that, she's got, you know, her guilt over killing Kyle and her 10-year killing spree. And then... You know, like she says in Raging Faye, for a long time, I've forgotten what I am to humans, a monster. You know, in the episode where I think she really changes, Bo really changes her, um, you know, what she thinks of herself, the transition from a monster to not thinking of herself as that is, uh, there's Bo Place Like Home, mm-hmm. which is 307. And earlier in the episode, she says, I'm not changing into a monster. I've always been one. I've done so many terrible things, and that is why the da- dawning is happening to me so soon. But then you, after the whole conversation with her mother and saying she doesn't have to carry around those terrible memories anymore, you don't hear Bo refer to herself as a monster that much, or as a monster after 307. And I know we talked about that in earlier episodes. Yeah, I think maybe why Bo is perhaps able to forgive herself more quickly than maybe Xena was able to is a lot of what she did was very accidental. She didn't really know any better or how to stop it. Whereas the choices that Xena made, from what I understand, was were more deliberate. They were they were choices that she made. So that's maybe why she's able to kind of forgive herself and kind of feel like she has redeemed herself quicker than maybe Xena was able to. Yeah. And I don't know if there's, can't remember exact quotes, if there's times in the series where Xena says she'll never forgive herself for her past mistakes or she will. You know, it just depends on the situation. There might be another um, difference, too. I think and Zena was really expecting Gabrielle to be a big part of, of helping her forgive herself, and that maybe wasn't quite as apparent in Lost Girl with Kenzie. Yeah. Unless she came to that realization quicker, but it took Zena a long time to realize that wasn't going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that was, the, that was the other point. It was that the best friend or the the friendships that both Xena and Bo create slash girlfriend slash lover or heroine, whatever, all the, all the friendships that they make help redeem them or draw them away from that dark part of themselves. So they don't, so that they can continue to redeem themselves throughout the series. 
Because at the beginning of the series, like we said, there's all these things they've done in their past uh, before the series even starts, that they have to start redeeming themselves at the beginning of the series. They're at that turning point. And then everybody they meet at the beginning of the series helps them turn the corner to that redemption. So it's done through Kenzie and Bo's friendship. It's done through Zena and Gabrielle's friendship. So that's the other common theme. Zena said, Zena, with Zena, it's a double-edged sword because as she says in the episode Callisto, she says if something, she goes, she says to Gabrielle, something happens to you, I might go back to that dark side again because you're the one person I really care about. And Gabrielle says right back to her, she says, if something happens to me, you will not become a monster. There's only one way to end the cycle of hatred, and that's through love and forgiveness. It's always really hard for Xena not to be drawn back into that dark side. And there's a lot of times in the series where she does, actually, go back to what we call dark Xena and just lose it and uh, turn her anger on Gabrielle, uh, even. And then there's... So, you know, that's what I like about this dark versus light battle within the character, is that, you know, it's not always, okay, I'm going to redeem myself and I'm going to be fine. It's like they're fighting with it constantly. So Xena turns her anger on Gabrielle at points. You know, there's points in the series where she says, I'm done with redeeming myself because my only concern is about you. And then there's other points in the series where she says, I'm never going to redeem myself because look at what of all these, look at all of these things that I've done. So I have a really- question uh, uh-huh. for you guys. Mm-hmm. That brings up the thought that um, Xena eventually needed to understand that she had to accept both the light and dark in her. But it seems like Bo just refuses to declare, is she light fey or dark fey? What happened with that struggle? Did she ever end up declaring a side? She did align herself with the dark in season four. However, the circumstances surrounding that are, there's there's kind of like an asterisk, you know, <laughs> next to, to that. So it's, it's still, I think, up in the air because at the end of season four, she rips up her contract with the dark and basically unaligns herself again. But that's really interesting to say light and dark, depending on which side Bo aligns herself with. Does that mean she's giving into the quote-unquote light side of herself versus the dark side of herself, depending on which side she aligns herself with, that it's more of a metaphorical as well as literal allegiance? Because you know how we've said before about Lost Girl, well, light's, joining the light doesn't necessarily mean you're a quote-unquote good fae, right. that you're on the side of the humans. But that's that's an interesting thought, you know, because when Bo suddenly finds out she's aligned with the dark, then she's like, oh, that is not who I am. Again, with when it comes to the person redeeming Bo, who I believe this is purely my docubus love speaking, the person who redeems Bo from being dark Bo is Lauren, because that's the first time we see Bo suck chi for multiple people is when Lauren's about to die and she's in mortal danger. You know, in Raging Fae, Lauren also says to Bo, you're a different person than you were then, you know, back in your past. And the person you are now, I absolutely love. So, and then again, when you see Bo about to lose it and go dark Bo and her eyes go all, go all blue and Fae's wide shut, you know, she's the one who brings Bo back to herself and realizes that there's something wrong. You know, saying, I loved you from the second we met. We were, we were alone and my stethoscope was probably cold, but we touched. Sorry. <laughs> really, really bad but, Lauren impersonation. But then I'll also there. point out that Lauren's, Lauren being in danger is what brings that out in Bo in the first place. Right. Exactly. It's, it's similar to Xena and Gabrielle. You know, if you put Gabrielle in danger, then Xena's gonna 
fly off the handle and she'll say, forget redemption, I'm going to save the person who means the most to me. Again, it's a double-edged sword, because you don't know what's going to happen to the heroine going batshit crazy when that happens. You know, all their powers kind of come out. Though I will point out, Annie, that Bo also goes dark and does a super cheese act to save Dyson as well, so it's not just Lauren. Oh yeah, I know, but I just was going to mention Lauren first. Yeah, I know. Well, Bo does really? it for you were her. going to talk about Lauren for <laughs> some <up>. reason? <laughs> I'm just saying that Bo does it for her family, you yes. know. The similarities between Xena and Gabrielle, Xena and Gabrielle, between Xena and Bo is that they both have the heroine and their sidekicks, which is very much a, uh, like a fantasy trope. After Xena's redemption arc, the big thing that struck me as very similar between the two is the, the similarities between Bo and Kenzie's relationship and Xena and Gabrielle's relationship, especially in the, in the fourth season. Kenzie is talked about as being Bo's heart and their, their friendship really is the, the core of the show. And clearly Xena and Gabrielle's relationship is really the backbone of, of Xena. Yeah. And I think even though Lost Girl is slightly different from Xena in the sense that Lost Girl really is more of an ensemble, right. you've got six or seven main characters, but with Xena, it really is just two with Xena and Gabrielle. I mean, you've got reoccurring characters like Callisto and Joxer and, you know, Atolicus and Ares and all of those, but it really is just those two. They're also the only two really build in the credits. So, yeah, so that's that's very similar. I think, you know, Renee O'Connor, who plays Gabrielle, has been asked many a time. It's it's a role that evolved into more than just, I'm the sidekick with the plucky comic relief and stick that's going to hit people, you know, developed into so much more of a role besides that as the seasons went on. Oh, well, that just brought, brought another question to my mind. We have the advantage of Xena being a complete series, and that arc for Gabrielle was from naive villager to warrior. And, she, and along the way, she had to kind of accept the warrior part of herself as well. And I'm wondering, is if Kenzie gets to come back in fifth season, is she going to complete that arc as well? It looked like they were going to train her to be more of a warrior. She was going to train with Dyson, and then we just don't know where she's going. Yeah, I don't know if we know where she's going, period. Like how she's going to come back and maybe be changed. I always joke that she's going to be a Valkyrie because Ksenia Solo's got blonde hair now and how that's going to show up in production. But yeah, I'm looking forward to some kind of, like it will fundamentally change her coming back from the dead, basically, to see what's going to happen. I don't know about Warrior, but I think it's going to change her and Bo's relationship, maybe. Because it was such a big thing that's happening. And she's coming back without Hale, we're presuming, because Casey Collins isn't shooting the fifth season. So how will Kenzie feel coming back with, coming back from the dead and not having Hale there? But I think Kenzie sort of had warrior moments throughout the series. Yeah, she's, you know? she's always been sort of a hidden hero who characterizes mm-hmm. herself as a coward, but really is very brave and does heroic things. Yeah, well, isn't but- that what... Was it Hale who said something about um, mostly being a coward, but with moments of, of crazy bravery? Yeah. yeah, and that was in the first season. Yeah. And Kenzie is extremely brave because she sticks around as a human in this fey world. And refuses to leave Bo's side. It sacrifices Nate and so many things in a, you know, normal life. She chooses to stay, whereas Lauren's enslaved. But, you know, Kenzie could potentially leave at any time. But she might be in as much danger as Lauren if she does, because she knows so much about the fate. But she always chooses Bo. And very similar to Xena and Gabrielle. Gabrielle will always choose Xena and stay with her. 
Well, I'm just especially thinking of the end of season two, where they, well, I guess it's the second to last episode? No, third to last, where they go in with their crazy caveman clubs. Oh, God, I hate oh, those bamboo clubs. you're talking clubs. about Lachlan's Gambit. Right. But, you know, Kenzie goes in there with one of those, too. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, holds Dyson back after Dyson holds off the, the bad guys and... Well, we we can, sorry, this is a random side note, but we can here talk about the most ridiculous looking weapons in each show and those stupid Bam Bam clubs that look like they came from the Flintstones in Lachlan's Gambit. That's the dumbest weapon in Lost Girl. And I think you can, maybe you can agree with me, T, the dumbest weapon in Xena is Gabrielle's poof thing from the convent or the convert, you know, that she had when she was in her uh, peace phase. Oh, you mean the powder? Yeah, the smoke machine thing. Yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> yeah. dumb. Yeah, that was, or having no weapon, because she was on a, Gabrielle went on a really peaceful phase and decided to totally embrace peace and uh, gave up her weapon for a while and still traveled with Xena, which is pretty brave, but not pretty logical. Well, you were mentioning how Gabrielle really keeps Xena on track in her in her darker moments. And you, you mentioned how Lauren's done that some for Bo, but I think Kinsey does that for Bo at times as well. Especially oh, yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. Like I'm I'm thinking of where there's a will there's a Fay where mm-hmm. she goes to feed off of the the woman in the trailer park and Kenzie stops her at, at great personal risk to herself <laughs> evidently. Yeah. Yeah. That that was because I was trying to get my mom to watch Lost Girl with me and she goes I remember when my mom saw that point, she goes, Oh wow, Kenzie's really good for Bo, or she's really good for her. So I went, oh, my mom got it. So I was happy about that. Yeah, I will say, though, that Gabrielle seems to be much more Xena's conscience than Kenzie does. I I think, actually, Bo tends to be a bit more morally ethical than than Kenzie does. But Gabrielle seems to very much be Xena's conscience, keeping her on the path to fight for the greater good. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that earlier, that yeah, Gabrielle seems like the conscience incarnate, whereas Kenzie's sort of there as someone to remind Bo that Bo isn't a monster right. mm-hmm. or something, you know, sees Bo for who she can be, I guess, yeah. might be a way to put it. So similar, but but I think slightly different functions in the in the series. Yeah, but there's also times when the sidekick or the you know, the person that keeps the hero on their path also loses faith. You know, you have that whole thing between Bo and Kenzie when they, you know, she says, unclaim me, and it's such a heart-wrenching scene. And then Xena and Gabrielle have this whole horrible rift in season three where Xena tries to kill Gabrielle and drags her off the cliff, and they end up resolving it in song. I've told you guys this before. Because <laughs> like that was the only way they could <laughs> resolve the rift. The rift is in capital T, capital R, by the way, in fandom. But yeah, I, again, I like how shows develop like that. That it's not just always one note all the time with either the sidekick or the heroine. Another thing that both Xena and Lost Girl do is that they're really good at both balancing drama and comedy. I don't think every show does this. Maybe it's just genre shows. Because typically shows are just, oh, it's a procedural, it's a drama, it's a sitcom. But... I think genre shows tend to range from range from you have really dramatic episodes with the high stakes and everybody's going to die to the more you know just outright comedic episodes with a lot of you know some bit of maybe a little bit of slapstick or some silly fights or you know even more witty lines than usual and 
they can all exist within the same season. So you'll have like two dramatic episodes, one comedic one, three dramatic episodes that maybe have more to do with an arc, and then end of the world episode type thing for the cliffhanger at the end of the season. So both Xena and Gabrielle have that. God dang it. Both Xena <laughs> and Lost Girl have that. So uh, that's what I like about both those shows. Yeah, now that you mention it, I can't think of that many dramedies that are outside of the sci-fi fantasy genre. I'm mostly thinking of, like, Ally McBeal and Glee. <laughs> I, I feel like Grey's Anatomy might qualify. There's a lot of humor in Grey's Anatomy, but it's also clearly a, it's true. a, a drama. And they mm-hmm. did have a musical episode. Uh, let's let us <laughs> let us not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I feel like Gilmore Girls is kind of on the line. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a good mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good example actually. Yeah. And is a much better show and more successful at it than the two I named. <laughs> yeah. But going back to Xena, it's very very aware of being a campy tongue in cheek show even in its fight scenes. So I was curious to know what you guys thought about the fight scenes as being not really seeing a lot of Xena episodes. So, cause there's like, I recommended a day in the life, which was the one I told you guys about the comedic episode. And then another comedic episode is old Aries had a farm, which is in season six. And there's so many others, but what did you guys think about the fight scenes that they're totally unrealistic, of course, mm-hmm. but they're really funny too. I actually really enjoyed them. I thought they were hysterical. I, I was literally <laughs> yeah, laughing, laughing out loud. The um the first episode you had us watch was Callisto one twenty two, I think, yes. right? Yeah. And uh, the ladder thing where <laughs> oh, she was spinning on the lo- ladder. We love the ladder fight, don't we? T. It's just that's mm-hmm. classic. Yeah. Yeah. I was cracking up, and um oh, in the last one, the third one that you had us watch. Uh oh, um, one against an uh, army. One one against an army. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Oh, with the <laughs> jumping on the spear with the bouncing yes. effects. Yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to mention that. It's all burn, burn. Yes, the sound effects people in Xena had too much fun. They really yes. did. Yeah, but it was still a really serious fight because they were fighting for their lives. Well, I was going to say, I, I actually, they were better than I thought they would be. <laughs> with still a heavy do- dose of cheese in there, but they were actually pretty well coordinated. And I did like in the one against the army, the building she was in with all of the booby traps that she yeah. set to try to defeat a ton of people, even though, you know, it was just her fighting. And, and yeah, and I was, I was pretty impressed. I thought, you know, they, it was clear they used Lucy Lawless a, a good deal c- considering she was the lead. And I thought she did a, a decent job selling the stunts. Yeah. But it was so funny because even at the end to this day, I'm like, okay, they all go home. There are thousands more like me. And I'm like, they all just leave. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they didn't day, because so. I think two or three of them, two or three of them came, came back, back after. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. But still, I'm like, there, there's like 20 guys there and they're all beat up and they got bloody noses. They're all, okay, back to the horses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I'll believe her. She's really tough. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that Xena does as well, I think, is they kind of borrow heavily from martial arts movies, and you don't see that in the other two shows, but yeah, another reason why I like that show. I was going to say, I kept thinking about all the... It's probably mostly because of some of the, the dubbed dialogue and stuff, yeah. and and the sound effects. I, I kept thinking about those, too. I will say, though, I was pretty eye-rolly whenever they showed, I don't know the name of her, her round weapon that she uses a lot. Oh, the chakram? Yeah. Okay. Whenever they would do, 
you know, the insert shots of that hitting the different objects, I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> Well, that, that was meant so to be bad. funny. <laughs> that was meant to be funny in days in a day a day in the life. But yeah, but yeah, I when they show funny. the point of view with the chakram on, like they put a camera, it's like putting a GoPro on the chakram and they show it going <laughs> around. Yeah, it is pretty funny. GoPro, so. which did not exist then. Yeah, but you know, it was just so clear. That, you know, they they probably had an effects budget of whatever the director could dig out of the change from like his car, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know, clearly some of those were just very these you know. Not high quality effect shots of this this weapon like hitting these striking these objects and spinning around and all this. Well, stuff. Well, Xena yeah. didn't have as much of a budget as shows do now, and it was made in New Zealand. So, but I think it's funny where I, I should actually ask you guys to watch the Return of Callisto, which is oh god, TM blanking season two. Yeah, season two. There was a reference in in the season two episode of Callisto having been in Xena's body. If yes, that, that is one of the body switching episodes. So, okay. but a uh, good catch. But <laughs> there's so there's a shot of Xena where she jumps up on a rope and she goes towards one of it's a famous like we call it a famous uh just just another gag in Xena where she jumps up on a rope and she's going and she's kicking her, you know, she kicks her uh feet into a baddie's chest. And it's like point of view like a, there's a GoPro on Xena. And you see, as her feet kick the bad guy's chest, the toes of both boots bend inward like they're rubber. And it's really funny, (laughs) because obviously that's all we can afford right now, is to put that in there. And either the stunt one's feet are really small, or we just put a rubber Xena up on the rope and used it for the (laughs) shot. So it's stuff like that that makes the fight scenes even so funny. And it's just great. So yeah, I just... I literally remember snorting soda up my nose the first time I saw a day in the life. So that's why I love that episode. With Lost Girl, you have original skin with the body switching episode and confusion with Kenzie and the magical stick. So, you know, where that's a really fun fight scene. You know, you have those episodes that are just nuts that they have to have at least once a season that I really enjoy. And again, that doesn't happen with a lot of uh, shows. Groundhog Fay. That's another yeah, high comedy episode amongst the darker stuff. Yeah. Does Bill yeah. have a physical weapon? It seems like she just has super strength and fighting mm. in the chi, but does she have a go-to weapon that she uses? Her thigh dagger. Yeah, she has her thigh dagger, but she doesn't always have it. It's not like Xena and the Shockhorn where she has it all the time, but she's usually always got a dagger handy. But the thing that cracks me up is that she somehow has a tiny dagger, not her thigh dagger, attached on the back of her very formal uh, dress for Hale's funeral in <laughs> in uh, Origins. And it just looks so silly. It's just like, it looks like it's attached by a few things of thread, you know? <laughs> and she just happens to have it on her, pull it out against this huge broadsword that... Okay, uh, but if you're Bo, would you ever go anywhere without some sort of... Pointy yeah, I know. Weapon. It just looks really silly. There's even a picture that's like a close-up of it, and I'm like, that just looks really tacked on, like with Velcro or something. Anyway, no, it's just... It's the not- costume department did the best they could, Annie. <laughs> I was gonna say, maybe Bo and or Kenzie had to, like, sew it on there last minute. I guess, but it's like... Because again, if you're Bo, you're not going anywhere without one of those, because there's always somebody attacking you. That's true, especially in the last parts of the season where stuff is building up. But still, it's like, I guess she wasn't wearing boots, so she couldn't stick it in a boot. So I don't know. But 
It just and the thigh funny. dagger would be lumpy under the dress. That's true. <laughs> no, she's strap it on outside of the dress. Anyway. How? I don't know. She could have managed. She had a dagger under her thigh in Adventures in Fabie sitting, <laughs> so she could have stuck a thigh dagger somewhere. Anyway. But you also, going back to the comedy versus drama, you also have the characters that provide different kinds of comedy. Because Kenzie is most of the witty one-liners in Lost Girl, while Joxer is really the epitome of the bumbling comedic relief in Xena. He does all the physical comedic relief, which is actually really hard to do. But And, you know, Autolycus some as well, with uh, who, of course, Chris, since you've seen Evil Dead, I believe, you know who he is, so... Oh, but, is it, uh, and now I've just lost his name for some reason. Bruce Campbell? Yeah. There we go. Ah, uh, Bruce Campbell. Gabrielle got some in A Day of the in the Life, or A Day of the Life? Uh, a Day in the Life, yeah. A Day in the Life, though, because she gets hit in the, fi- in the face with oh, an the, eel the and two fish. <laughs> and the kite. And then she gets struck, struck down by the kite. Which Zena invented, of course. And then, um you know, gets to grab Zena's breastplate in the right moment. Yes. With complete with sound effect, which we love. So um and and then you have dramatic episodes of where Zena gets crucified for the ten thousandth time in Ides of March and Dark Horse where Kenzie sacrifices herself. So you have those big character deaths. So And then obviously just from the few episodes that I watched, there's a lot of fantasy tropes in both series and, and even purposefully playing with tropes and because like a a day in the life is really kind of an experimental concept episode yeah it's like we're not going to show you all of the heroic stuff like we usually do we're going to show you xena going to the bathroom and (laughs) you know fishing for food and them arguing over a skillet so meanwhile lucy lawless's manic face might be my new favorite thing (laughs) when she's fishing you mean it's when she's fishing and a couple other times. They're just like weird random moments where <laughs> she just yeah, she has a very yeah, strange yeah. crazed look on her face. I know what you're oh, talking yeah, about. Oh yeah, yeah. That one you'll see a lot. But yeah, you know, Xena, it's like in a time of ancient gods, warlords and kings, a land in turmoil cried out for a hero. Man, that used to be the tagline on my check. I miss my Xena checks. So <laughs> I don't have them anymore. <sighs> So yeah, and you're you're talking specifically about the mythology on the show, I think. Yeah, with that yeah, and because yeah. you have Ares and Aphrodite and Hades and all these gods make appearances, and they're casting spells and chanting scrolls and doing all these mischievous and sometimes not so mischievous, more malevolent things to separate the heroines or to throw up obstacles. And Lost Girl, it's it's the same kind of thing, where. Right from the beginning, you have established the world of the Fae, the dark and the light Fae, and, you know, the under Fae, and you've got creatures such as succubus, shapeshifters, sirens, ogres, etc. So it's like, yeah, it's a lot of mythology and a lot of otherworldly type things. It's definitely not, this isn't a procedural we're talking about, people. Though I do think a big difference between the two is Lost Girl has been very hesitant to provide a representation of a particular god or goddess so far they've yeah. turned them into sort of face species like ryan being a loki rather than the loki mm-hmm. whereas on xena you did have the gods represented like Ares and aphrodite and hades yeah yeah and i think that uh it's really cool of lost girl that they turn everything on its head you know they're going to have a male siren and they're going to have you know an ogre is not 
you know, a huge ogre. He looks slightly different. And instead we're going to, you know, they put their spin on everything. Whereas Xena, it like might look more quote unquote traditional gods, but. Though I did read, she was not in an episode that we were assigned to watch, but I, I did read that Aphrodite was represented as kind of like a valley girl. Oh yeah. It's really funny. She literally surfs in on a shell on her first episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's in Hercules. <laughs> I can give you yeah, that episode. So, so it seems like they did play with it a little bit and kind of throw in some contemporary stuff in, in Xena as well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have all the weapons like Xena's chakram and a lot of swords, daggers type thing. It's like, why doesn't Bo use a gun? No, she's going to bring a knife. She also says a line like, well, here I am bringing a knife to a gunfight. So it's not like it always works. But in that world, they have very... I find it amusing that it's... Lost Girl is takes place in a contemporary time, but they use very old weapons. But if they did use guns, wouldn't everybody be screwed? <laughs> Buffy had a similar rule about guns. There was not... Buffy never used a gun. I mean, why doesn't the Pyrrhus just fly down and have uh, some Uzis mounted on his wings, and then he just shoot everybody, and then the show would be over? That's why he doesn't do that. <laughs> I guess. It's called suspension of disbelief. I have to remember that. And then, T, if you want to mention, like, we've got the body-switching episodes in Xena, which are quite a few. I think Lost Girl's only got one, and Xena's got how many? Three or four? I would think so, yeah. Yeah. So, it, it happened quite a few times. But yeah, that happens a lot in fantasy. So, does it happen in more Whedon shows? Oh, yeah. And my favorite, nobody ever really dies in fantasy, or sci-fi, for that matter. Because Xena and Gabrielle... Cena's been crucified like three times. Gabrielle once. Gabrielle's died in a lava pit. Has come back to life. Ouch. Yeah. But all these sacrifices were made, again, for that person that was the most important to him. Most of the time, where Gabrielle sacrificed herself for Xena at the end of season three. And then Kenzie sacrifices herself for Bo and everybody at the end of season four. Beginning of season four of Xena, it's the whole quest of Xena to find Gabrielle. And we assume that's how season five is going to start with uh, Lost Girl with Bo. Though I will say in regards to Lost Girl, I feel like they haven't used the just kidding, not really dead, all that much. Not nearly no. as much as I've seen on other fantasy shows. Xena right? used it like ad nauseum. <laughs> but it was so funny because how Xena ended was that Xena died. And then it's, it's a two-parter. She dies at the end of part one. And then we're like, okay, and then Gabrielle's working to bring her back to life all during part two. And then she stays dead. Like, dead, dead. And it pissed the fans off, something awful. So, you know, after all the times of dead, and then now she's dead, dead, that kind of pissed us off. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to amend the statement from no one re ever really dies in fantasy slash sci-fi to no one necessarily permanently dies. Yeah. <laughs> in That's fantasy true. slash sci-fi. Because I was trying to think about how how frequently that's happened on Lost Girl. And Dyson was brought back to life in the ceremony. You can kind of maybe count the end of Dismembers only with 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 Dyson again. But he wasn't fully dead, mm, not, dead No, then. but then Trick and, you know. Yeah, Trick was brought back to life Trick at the end of season back two. To life. Yeah, at the end of season two. But it's not like this. I mean, it was like relatively quickly. They were dead and then they were alive in the next moment. Whereas... You know, this, where it was with Kenzie, it's like the end of the season, you know, and she's going to be dead, dead for a while. You know, Xena and Gabrielle, they die, and they're dead, like, a lot. So. 
<laughs> well, it, it, you know, as, as somebody who watched Charm growing up, like some one of them was dying like every three episodes. It felt like there. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. I didn't know it was that much. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty frequent. Or one of them was at least in like mortal danger. Well, that's every different se- than every dying. episode. Well, yeah. they died a lot too, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, after a while, it becomes almost laughable. Yeah, I was going to say the the Dyson and Trick situations; those were more like supernatural resuscitations, more than like that's true. Dying, dying, you know. Yeah. Because you know, and, and as far as Buffy goes, like Buffy dies a couple times, but the first one she's resuscitated under like normal circumstances with CPR. Yeah. Right. By the way, Xena invents CPR <laughs> at the end of season <laughs> of one. She did. Well, she, if she invented the kite in A Day in the Life, she invents CPR when Gabrielle dies and then Xena keeps pounding on her chest and then, you know. I was noticing that Xena also uh, named the Big Dipper. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> and, but Gabrielle thought it looked like a bear. Yeah, which is also true. Next, we have daddy issues. And this is kind of, it's a theme in Xena, not quite as much in The Lost Girl, but there's an episode at the beginning of season three where... You wonder if Ares, God of War, is Xena's father, and Xena is driven mad by the Furies, which Ares sicks on her, and Xena has to get out of the spell by the Furies by convincing them that Ares is her father. So, which kind of makes sense in a way, because you wonder, where does Xena get all these abilities to do all these twisting ladder moves and, (laughs) you know, jump and jump three stories and all that and throw the chakram and always have perfect aim. Um, yeah, she could be half God. So, okay, but uh, spoiler alert, Izzy? Uh, we don't really ever know. Do we know T? No, but, it, you know, they have a romance. So I just like, ooh, I don't yeah. think they would it, want him yeah. really to be her father. You know what, though? It's just, it's never definitively answered in the series. Let me put it that way. You know who her mother is. Her, I mean, it's, it's, and it's not the first time, like, there's, um, Ties the Bind also, where Xena, where Xena's father comes back, and, but really it's Ares in disguise. And, you know, so there are times during the series where you wonder if Ares is Xena's father. And by the end of the series, it's never really answered. And I've seen fan fiction go off on that and say, yes, he's her father, no, he's not, blah, 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 but you just don't know. And I kind of like that ambiguousness because Xena seems to be so. It's an excuse for why all the stunts are so silly. That Xena can do that just because she's half god. So we don't know. Demigod. Demigod, yeah. And then, you know, then you have Bo and the Pyrapus. We still don't have that storyline resolved. I really hope we get it resolved relatively quickly in season five. What do you guys think? It seems like they're certainly continuing that story. We're going to get more the, of it. I don't, based yeah. on the teaser that they just released. Another thing that I noticed that was, was a big common theme between the two shows, just from the three episodes that I, that I watched, was the sense of alternative forms of family. And in one against an army, you know, there's a very tender scene between Gabrielle and Xena, where Xena says to Gabrielle, you are my family, and, and that sort of thing. And, and obviously, on Lost Girl, that's a big big recurring theme is is making family through people who aren't necessarily your blood relatives. I like when Bo says in Dark Horse uh, that it's not just sucking chi that makes me special, it's that I learned how to stop. For 10 years I went on a killing spree and then I found my friends, indicating of course that it was her her family that made her 
you know, reformed and made her stop being able to kill people at will so that she learned how to control her powers. And then, you know, I love the quote, and there's a quote in season six where, you know, you always have Xena redeeming herself, and they very much have the theme of that greater good. That's what they fight for, Xena and Gabrielle, to fight for the greater good of those who can't defend themselves and against the gods and whatnot. And then in the, in this episode, Legacy, Gabrielle accidentally kills somebody who she thought was going to kill Xena, and she feels really guilty about it because it's this innocent kid. She ends up being almost executed for it, and Xena, you know, fights through everybody and, like, you know, almost six another side on them and almost starts a war basically to distract everybody so that she can get Gabrielle out of there. And then at the end, everything is somehow resolved. And so, and she says to her, you know, Gabrielle in everyone's life, there's something that goes beyond the greater good. That's what you are in my life. And again, it's one of those moments in the series where Xena says, you know, forget my redemption. You know, she says in one against an army, I'm done paying for my past mistakes. My responsibility now is you. So again, it's it's this shifting of characters where they want to be redeemed, they want to pay for their past mistakes, but they don't want to do it at the expense of their family. Yeah, the family theme, I really like. I I also like the quote from, from Destiny's Child where with Lauren and Dyson telling about, you know, you're, we're your family, your weird, complicated, completely dysfunctional family, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we are family. your family. Yeah. And again, sometimes I think, well, does it show inconsistency in the character that they're like, well, we're going to redeem ourselves, but, you know, but we're still going to save our best friend or whatever. And I'm like, no, that shows that they're human. So I really like that. It could be the, the analogy to, um, especially in Lost Girl, of the GLBT family. Yeah. And you can see that in Xena, it's just not as overt. You know, somebody, they'll accept people who they are. That kind of goes on to another theme that, what was subtext in Xena uh, was a precursor to Bo and Lauren's relationship because Xena became very important to the GLBT community when it came out because it did show a real affection, you know, first a friendship and a very deep friendship and an affection and a love between these two women. They weren't overt about it. You know, they showed almost kisses between Xena and Gabrielle and two other episodes that T recommended you guys watch uh, is Destiny and the quest, which are from season two, it shows how Xena becomes like the dark Xena. It shows her background. And then uh, it's one of the times that Xena dies again. But, you know, Gabrielle is working to bring her back. And it's a body switching episode where Xena goes into a friend's body, Atelicus, which is played by Bruce Campbell. And so then there's a moment where Xena and Atelicus's body, they somehow... You know, she says to Gabrielle, just close your eyes and think of me, Xena. And then suddenly it's Xena and Gabrielle facing each other, and Gabrielle gets really emotional, and they almost kiss, and then the camera cuts to Gabrielle and Atolicus kissing. So that's how they get around it. <laughs> so, but you guys have to see it, because it's a very classic. We're all, the audience is going, yes, yes, damn it! <laughs> you know, at least the GLBT audience. So, but it was frustrating, because... You know, that was as far as TV could get in those days, too. You know, where in the sixth season, Xena and Gabrielle finally did kiss. But really, also, it was the excuse of Gabrielle transferring water to Xena to bring her back to life. Uh, you know, you have that kind of stuff happening. Yeah, what you what you mentioned about the quest reminds me a lot of La Fea Poke, because we talked in that episode, the fact that, you know, that's that's kind of a body-switching episode. We have, we have Bo being Dyson, but where... 
previously, they might have had to do these body switching scenes in order to almost maybe show two women kissing. In this yeah. case, it's actually just a vehicle to, sh- to talk about the canon relationship that's on Lost Girl. Like, they don't have to get around showing Bo and Lauren kiss. That's just, you know, part of the Lost Girl universe. Yeah, yeah. So it just shows how, you know, how far the audience and how far, you know, GLBT, you know, the movement and how far society had ex- had evolved to that point from when Xena goes off the air to when Lost Girl is on now that we can show these kind of things. And I think that's great. But, um, you know, I think it was so great when Lucy Lawless later, she just said in an interview, she goes, Oh, they're married, man. When talking about Zena and Gabrielle, she goes, yeah, they were married. So, and they fight like a married couple, you know, in my opinion. It is, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, and now you, on Lost Girl, you have wonderful Bo and Lauren TVMA rated sex scenes. So, you know, <laughs> I have my docubus sex. Everybody has docubus sex. So yay. Oh, goodness. Yeah. My, my friend, our, Melanie Killingsworth, who's been on the podcast several times. She has seen all of Xena. And I remember when she was watching it during the first season, she was sending me some messages. She's like, I don't know, man. I feel like they maybe Trump, people have trumped up this subtext thing. And then she got to, I think, the second season. She's like, oh, wait, no, never mind. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First season, it's really not there. It's very much friendship. And, you know, Gabrielle's so young and innocent. And Renee O'Connor looks like she's 12. But yeah. And I noticed that, too, just watching the season one episode, Callisto, and then watching A Day in the Life is like, oh, it's way, way, way more explicit now. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it was still subtext and, and, and you window, but it was much more present. And then uh, the other one I had you watch, One Against an Army, that's season three. So, yeah, it just gets more and more. And then a comedic episode in season six, which is You Are There, which totally you know, throws everything out the window because it has a modern day reporter coming in to interview Zena and Gabrielle, but they totally play on the subtext. They totally are completely teasing us with this. And it's really funny. So, cause at the very end, he asked them, so Zena and Gabrielle, are you in a, re- I can't remember what the line is. If he asked them if they're in a relationship or are you in love with Gabrielle? And then right in the last minute, the, they make the camera cut. And the, you hear the reporter over the thing complaining. He goes, wait, this is the greatest story ever. We're going to find out Zena and Gabrielle are together. And you're telling me the battery is dead? Ah, oh, shit. You know, or something like that. That's the end of the episode. So you're saying as the seasons progress, it's inversely proportional to the size of Gabrielle's shirt. <laughs> yes, we call that the BGSB, the Billowis Green Sports Bra. Don't ask me why they call it Billowis. But it keeps shrinking as seasons go on. <laughs> That's not what I'm that saying. I'm, not that I mind as a Renee O'Connor fan, which is really actually kind of embarrassing to say now because Renee knows who I am and, you know, so I shouldn't say that too loud. <laughs> yes, I, w- I will say I had only previously seen pictures of Renee O'Connor and I knew that like she had a huge following of, of queer women and who just, you know, think she's really, really attractive. And, and I was like, yeah, she's pretty. And watching the show's like, oh, I get it now. She's very sexy. <laughs> her, I, I, her shirt, her like shirt got smaller and her biceps got buffer, it seemed like, as the seasons progressed. <laughs> and the one aspect that's been a favor to me for both Xena and Lost Girl has been uh, the fandoms. And they're both incredible fandoms, having been a part of both of them for Xena for, jeez, probably over 15 years for me. 
but both shows resonate with a wide variety of demographics. And you might, and you might just look, the reason why I put this in was because initially you have Xena and all the high school, you know, boys and whatever going, hee boobs, you know, and it wasn't just high school boys. My, several of my dad's <laughs> friends were big Xena fans. Okay. Well, that's weird. Because of the boobs? I, I think possibly. I don't know. <laughs> There were some there were some comments made in my general direction and I'm like, really? I'm like fifteen. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, all those people, which kinda make me squeaky. But I think way back when when the Xena convention started, yeah, they had a lot broader audience then. Now it's just all five hundred lesbians and two guys. But no, I'm joking. There's like ten guys. But uh <laughs> But, you know, initially, and then Anna Silk always says, well, you know, Lost Girl is such a wide variety of, you know, people that watch the show. Oh, I watch it with my grandpa or whatever. And I think, so I think initially, both Xena and Lost Girl uh, have a big, you know, have a a varied fan base. Honestly, to me, because I'm a GLBT, you know, audience member, sometimes I only just see the show through the, instead of rose-tinted glasses, I just see him, see him through rainbow-tinted lesbian glasses. So, you know, that's why I only see Docubus, but, or Xena and Gabrielle. But, anyway, my point is, is that, yes, we have strong lesbian fan bases for Xena and Lost Girl, but because they were the stories that people could relate to. Xena was one of the first, you know, shows in the 90s. That's why it had such a strong following. It kind of grew with the advent of the internet, too, which made yeah. a big difference. And Xena came at the perfect time right when the internet was really on the rise. And that's why it became such, it had such a huge following. One of the best sites for Xena has been doing the site. She's been doing the site for 16, 17 years now. The Australian Xena information page, because the woman who runs it, Mary D, is from Sydney. A-U-S-X-I-P. So if you say AUSIP within the Xena community, we know what you're talking about. But to this day, it's still updated every day with anything that Lucy's doing, Renee's doing, and it's expanded to, like, Rizolian Isles and a couple of other things. But, yeah, that's what... Xena was kind of the beginning of a show, having an online presence. And now with Twitter and Tumblr and everything, it's really easy for a show to be uh, have a big online presence. So that's what Lost Girl has that I think is really taken advantage of, too. Because it's really cool now with Twitter to talk with, you know, to get a tweet for a reply from Anna or Zoe or whoever. So I, I did go and I read the, the Xena Wikipedia page just to try to get more <laughs> info. And you t- you I'm nerd. wondering what it said now. <laughs> What'd you say, Chris? I called you a nerd. I know, I am. I love so- that research. <laughs> And one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting was actually in regards to Xena's fan fiction, that it kind of created its, its or at least gave name to this little subgenre of fan fiction of uber fanfic. Yeah, it coined the term. So when you hear uber fic, I think Xena fandom pretty much coined that term of, well, people call it AU fic or alt fic now. Okay. It, it has mm-hmm. a couple That's different names. Yeah. So when you take the caricatures of Xena and Gabrielle or Bo and Lauren and put them in a different setting or a different time or something like that, or take them out of that canon world that they're in, that we call it uberfic. Um, but Xena still has an incredible amount of fan fiction that's written and a lot of more. I think if more of it's almost uberfic. I don't know if you'd agree with that, T. No, yeah, I would. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. But a lot of my friends took their uberfic and, you know, wrote uh, basically novel-length stories, and they eventually got published. 
So there were a lot of um, small GLBT publishing companies that were started that published these fics. Um, unfortunately, some of them are out of business right now, but they've still continued to publish with different publishers. So they really started a whole movement into GLBT publishing. So that was really cool. Do you think that Lost Girl has as healthy a fan fiction writing community as Xena did, or do you think there were more fan fiction writers for Xena? I think there's the more day? for Xena. Oh, I don't know about back in the day. Yeah, maybe. I think Lost Girl, it's it's got a pretty healthy fic, and I think it's the kind of fandom that can last after the show goes off the air because of streaming and things like that. But yeah, I think Lost Girl has a pretty healthy fanfic community, although I don't think it's nowhere near as big as Xena is and remains to be. I think the whole point of a fandom remaining strong after a fandom after a show goes off the air is in organization and in it having an online presence. The reason why Xena remained popular was because of that Allzip site, I believe. Because it continued to update, it continued to keep the fandom active, people continued to write fanfic. And that's why there's still conventions going on. That's why there's still interest in Xena, not just because of streaming. I really appreciate that both Xena and Lost Girl are that type of genre show that have conventions, so that fans can meet the actors and express their appreciation. And, you know, again, it's always been, even before the internet, I know the actors and the cast and crew of Xena really appreciated the fandom and really interacted with them and still continue to to this day. So that's really, really neat. That's one of my favorite parts, too, about the fandom. Because I'm a convention junkie. But that's why I'm broke, too. Stephanie and I were very impressed with your your conventioning skills. Mm -hmm. You've got mad convention skills. That's because it's almost 20 years of practice, guys. I've been going... My first convention was a Xena convention in 1998, in October of 98, (laughs) in San Francisco. I don't know why, but I was expecting you to say something like, in 1912. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Oh, dear. I haven't seen something like this since Aunt Six. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? We, uh, me and my friends, we were, like, two of us were in the front row at the Xenicon, and we're like, we're going to be here till like, 2050, going, back in the day, you know, they're going to have to draw us, draw us, drag us out of here in wheelchairs and walkers. Eventually, you will be talking about Aunt Six, but it'll be 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad, Annie, that you got your moment to talk about Xena. I'm not saying you can't talk about it again. <laughs> that kind of sounded like I was saying <laughs> Jeez, <thanks>. no more. <laughs> Even though half of what Stephanie off. said was actually about Buffy in this episode. <laughs> That's not true. I said Xena stuff, too. <laughs> no, I was very impressed by her range of research. Thank you. <laughs> But let it, we would be curious to to hear what y'all Xena fans, what similarities you see between Lost Girl and Xena Warrior Princess. You can tell us in the comments for the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 74. You can also send us an email with any thoughts regarding this comparison or any future topics you'd like for us to cover. You can send an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. You can also send us a voice message by clicking on the Send Voicemail tab on the right-hand side of our website. Well, I wanted to thank uh, Teresa for joining us, so thanks for taking the time and for uh, apologies for the technical difficulties at the beginning. Thanks for your patience through those. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
Thank you. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks with the Doll. My name is Stephanie. I'm just a long-time Zenite and a docu-buster, docu-sexer fan. My name is Annie. (laughs) I think I want a shock room now. And my name is Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. A docu-sexer, Annie? Okay, I made that up. (laughs)